listening to the Mouthful of Graffiti podcast, affectionately known as The Mog, an open forum and promotional outlet for budding artists and creatives from all across the Mid-Atlantic region. I'm your host, Brad Cox, not necessarily affectionately known as anything other than Brad Cox, but I'm here all the same. Let's see who and what we're chewing on today on The Mog. Friends, East Coastians, and country men and women of all ages, welcome to the Mog. As always, links for our guests will be made available in the description, and a song or some type of promotional feature will be tacked on to the end of each episode. We'd like to thank all of our sponsors, Vagabond Sandwich Company, Capricost Books, Musicland, Black Eyed Susie's, Double Groove Brewing, Baltimore Decal Gal, and Reb Records. Remember to love local, support local, and to eat and drink local. Don't forget to use discount code Mog. Pod for a 10% discount at Capricost Books. Everyone knows you can't stop by Main Street Bel Air without grabbing one of Black Eyed Susie's legendary orange crushes and a killer lunch or dinner. Black Eyed Susie's has been supporting local for a long time. It's your one-stop spot for original and cover entertainment and an afternoon or evening out with friends on their rooftop deck. If you haven't heard, there's something very special about Double Groove Brewing. It's a melting pot of personalities, ages, loves, interests, and musical tastes. There are hippies, professionals, rockers, folk artists, friends and families here. Throw in the most delicious and satisfying craft beer on the planet and this place is complete magic. They are tireless supporters of the local talent. Stop by their location in Forest Hill for a pint and a night out with friends. Transcendent Events is bringing StellarCon back to the APG FCU Arena on November 19th. Visit the official StellarCon Facebook page to learn more about getting tickets to this stellar event. Harvard Dance Theater is bringing back their holiday classic, The Nutcracker, to the Amos Center on December 2nd through December 4th. For tickets and details, visit HarfordEvents.com. The Hip Lay Ballerina is blending their unique fusion of hip-hop and ballet will be coming to the Amos Center on February 26th at 3 p.m. For tickets, visit tickets.harford.edu. The Rock Spring Financial Group brings the American dream to life with hard work, dedication, and pride. Rock Spring Financial Group offers full-service mortgage loan options to either assist with lowering your interest rate, consolidating debt, or buying a new home. They maintain a local reputation with honesty, competitive rates, and trustworthy loan officers. Call Rick Metzger today. He's local and actually has an office in Bel Air, Maryland. Tired of speaking to loan officers from an online outfit? Go with the local folks at Rock Spring Financial Group. Give them a call at 440 440- 4-3-801-6389. It's 443-801-6389. They have a five-star rating on Google. Stop by and find out why. The Authors and Artists Holiday Gift Sale returned to the Bel Air Armory on November 5th and showcased some of Harford County's own talent. 37 local vendors selling unique original art, books, photographs, laser woodwork, ornaments, jewelry, leather items, and more all gathered together for what felt like the largest and coolest locals-only scholastic book fair-style shopping expo of its kind. Admission was free and the event was sponsored by the Town of Bel Air Cultural Arts Commission and the Bel Air Arts and Entertainment District through the Maryland State Arts Council. I've been lucky enough to participate a few years in a row and this time got the chance to speak with Sam Polakoff, Bonnie Winslow Christ, Kelly A. Harmon, and Lindsay Pope. Here's the recap. All right, the Mouthful Graffiti Podcast here at the, I don't know how many years this has been, but the annual Authors and Artists event here at the Bel Air Armory. I'm sitting here with Lindsay Pope. Lindsay, welcome to the show. Uh, Thank you for having me. You have a brand new book out. It's called Sheldon's Time, and 
From the looks of it, it's a child's book. Yes, that's right. Is Sheldon a baby crab? <laughs> so Sheldon is a kid himself, so this book is for ages 4 to 10. And he wants to spend the day reading alone, but his friends have some other ideas. They want him to come outside and play with them. So he has to really figure out, you know, what am I going to do? And is it okay that I sort of want this time alone? So the book is really about teaching kids that it actually is okay to need some time for yourself sometimes. There's a good message in the book. Absolutely, yes. Obviously, going out to write a book is very daunting. It can almost seem overwhelming. So what was your inspiration? I could relate to Sheldon so much. He's definitely written from a part of me. When I was a kid, I needed that alone time to just decompress sometimes. Like if I was at an event with a lot of people, I felt overwhelmed. And I would need to come home and just have some space, like my own room. And just, you know, I didn't really want to talk to anybody for a little bit. And I think sometimes that, you know, people don't understand that when you're young and they think that you should always want to be around people. So I just wanted to give kids a great resource and let them know that if they do need that time in that space, that that's perfectly healthy. And writing a book, a lot of people don't realize this, but it, it's cathartic in itself because you have to kind of isolate yourself. Did you feel that that isolation was a good thing? I would say for me, it was a good thing because that's where I get into my most productive creative zone. Um, if I um, just have that space to write um, and I do a lot of my writing like outside, um, of course, when it's when weather allows. So just having that alone time for me is a very you know healing and restorative process. I enjoyed it. That's really great to hear. Who were some of your influences? Did you have like childhood influences like Dr. Seuss or you know the ones we all grew up with, Beverly Cleary, that kind of thing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say as far as writing goes, I really didn't find that. I wouldn't say from a child's perspective, but as I got older and especially now as a parent, uh, one of my favorite authors is Nancy Tillman. I absolutely love the way that she just conveys this beautiful emotion and she's so positive in her writing. And I also have a soft spot for humor books. I love good humor, um, especially if it's something that adults can really laugh at that the kids may not understand the joke, but the, it's for the parents. <laughs> so I love books that make me laugh. So um, a book that comes to mind right off the bat would be, uh, you know, We Don't Eat Our Classmates. So just from the title alone, you get a sense that it's going to be a fun book. <laughs> what I love about the book is it is an illustrated book. Talk to me about how you paired up with this illustrator and got all this great artwork done for it. Yes, I got so lucky to find Nadja. She's immensely talented. Uh, her name's Nadja Bullis. And luckily for me, an author friend of mine, um, Carissa Jean Bates, she told me about Nadja because Nadja has uh, also illustrated her books. And she just told me how wonderful she is and how talented she is. And in seeing Carissa's books, I saw it firsthand. Um, so it just made my decision very easy. I reached out to her, asked her if she'd be interested. Luckily for me, she said yes. And now I told her, okay, you better stay on for the, <laughs> because there will be a series. This is just one of three um, to come. So uh, I'm really hoping I can talk her into doing the other two <laughs> as well. I, I hope so. What do you like about the writing process in, in particular? I would say for me, it's just getting that creativity out, the flow out, because sometimes, you know, if you're a creative person, you have it, it feels like it's trapped in your head and it almost drives you crazy at points. So if you transfer it onto paper and just get it out or and or onto a computer, you know, you just get that energy out, that flow out and it's no longer trapped in your head. What do you hate about writing? A writer's block. 
hands down. Writer's block is awful when you just feel like you have no ideas um, or to me even worse when you start the story and you think to yourself, I don't know where I'm going with this. Uh, Sheldon actually took me over five years to finish for that reason because I struggled with writer's block. Um, so I would, I would want to finish it and I just felt like I was hitting a brick wall. So that was very frustrating. Yeah, so five years is a long time. Did you handle the editing and the formatting of the book or was it just you wrote it and then you kind of passed it off? So I did edit history myself what feels like about 500 times for a rough estimate. Um, and then once I got to the end and I felt like it was pretty strong, I did hire a professional editor just to make sure it was, especially with the rhyming aspect of it, I wanted that to be done very, very well. So I wanted to make sure I had a professional double check me to make sure everything. And I'd say for me, that was well worth the investment. Did you go through KDP, Ingram Spark? Yes, I did do KDP initially, and then I do also have the hardcover on Ingram Sparks. Well, Lindsay, great to sit down with you for at least a couple minutes today. I'd like to actually get you on the show at some point to really talk about the book, talk about your background. We don't have time to do all that right now. Thanks so much for talking. I look forward to it. I'm sitting here with Sam Polikoff of the new book, Escaping Mercy. Sam, welcome to the Mouthful Graffiti. Thank you very much. Tell me about the new book. What was the inspiration for the book and what is it about? What were you saying to everybody as they came in today? Well, it's a fun book because it, it envisions the earth 150 years in the future, um, extraordinarily overcrowded, and a madman who's uh, installed a euthanasia program for anybody that's mildly sick to try and you know keep the population to a minimum. So so uh, a marine biologist who's the hero of the story um, discovers something very unique at the bottom of the Coral Sea off the coast of Australia, and he uses that in his fight with a civil rights attorney who's got a sick child uh, to combat the madman. What a lot of people don't realize about writing a book is how much research goes into writing a book. This sounds like it would have taken you a lot of research. A tremendous amount of research because I'm not a marine biologist. But uh, you know what I typically do when I write a novel? I reach out to my network of people and say, hey, I've got a protagonist who's going to be a marine biologist. Does anybody know a marine biologist? And I was actually introduced to two or three of them. And all of them were willing uh, volunteers and uh, uh, putting up with my questions and sending me stuff to read. And that helped me shape a realistic story. How many books have you written at this point? I've got three novels and a children's story and a fourth novel on the way in the spring. Was there anything kind of like cultural zeitgeist that inspired this particular storyline? Well, this story just began with the idea that I wanted to write a novel about a sunken civilization. And then as I started kind of seeing what else was out there, there's a lot of Atlantis-type stories out there. So I kind of, I used that idea, but that's not really what the book is about. So I wanted to create something unique, and that's, that's just how I began. It is unique. It's very unique. Atlantis has always been fascinating. Were you always inspired to be a writer, though? Well, I, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a writer, and um, my dad told me, you know, that's very noble, but you'll starve. And as it turns out, he was probably right, so I went into the family business, which is the oldest privately held logistics company in America, and I've been working there for 40-plus years, and I started writing in my 50s basically on a challenge from a mentor. And I've been doing it ever since. Writing's your way to decompress. Yeah, def definitely. It's, writing's a great way to decompress and uh, to get my creativity out on, on electronic paper and uh, just have fun with it. And I think, you know, you're an author as well. I, I, people have said that uh, an author throws a little of himself into every character. I think that's true. 
is the main protagonist or antagonist kind of you? Mm, not really. I'm more the goody two-shoes type. <laughs> but uh, people tell me I write great villains, so I'm not sure what to make of it. Who are some of your author inspirations? Well, I go back, um, I liked uh, espionage and, and suspense thrillers in the day. Robert Ludlum was one of my favorites. Um, I also like historical fiction, so I used to like reading James Clavell, who wrote uh, Noble House and Taipan, books like that. So I always learned a lot from reading historical fiction, and I think that's what I'm going to try and tackle in my next book. It sounds to me like the book would make for a very good Hollywood movie. So if you had to pick a Hollywood character that would play the protagonist, who who would you envision? An actor? Um, my wife would be a much better answering this question. Um, I don't follow the Hollywood scene as much, so I don't know what to say. Um, my protagonist is a, uh, a young, handsome marine biologist who's sort of a modern-day Jacques Cousteau. I don't know, maybe a younger version of Brad Pitt. <laughs> Something okay. like that. And how long did it take you to write this book from beginning to end? Well, because I'm still working full time, a book takes me about two years from conception to publication. Were you able to write during COVID? Like, were you able to work from home and then actually have a little extra time to write? Yeah, yeah, I think that's safe. I think COVID gave all of us a little bit more time to write than what we uh, ordinarily would have. And because you don't have the commute to and from an office, uh, yeah, definitely. Were you editing and formatting the book as well? Um, no, I, I do my own editing, of course, and when I think it's ready, I give it to a professional copy editor. And then um, I have an, a professional interior designer who also does my covers, and it's been done uh, amazing work on all my books, both of those ladies. Copy editing is a very unique trade. Who would you recommend? Well, the lady I've used for all of my books and will continue to use has actually got a, a, a funny name. Kim Bookless is her name, uh, and she works out of the Midwest, but she's available online and just does an outstanding job. Awesome. Sam Polakoff, thank you for being on the Mouthful Graffiti, and we will get this out there, and we'll tag you into it. Cool. That's good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, I'm sitting here with Kelly A. Harmon of the Charm City Darkness series. She's about to put out book five. There's four other books out there. She also just released How to Write an Anthology. Anthology, is that correct? How to Write for Anthologies. I co-edited that with Vani Crest. The Charm City Darkness series sounds very interesting. Tell us about that. Well, it's Charm City because it takes place in Baltimore. So it's a contemporary series, uh, supernatural, kind of urban fantasy. And I liken it to um, Buffy meets the Exorcist. Buffy the Vampire Slayer and obviously Pea Soup Exorcist. Yes. Fantastic. That's a great hybrid. <laughs> and I think Charm City Darkness sounds like something that people would just pick up and buy because it sounds interesting. Do you have a lot of people that are just like pedestrian, like, I'll try it. Yeah, a lot of people do. I think it, it hits a lot of high notes. Um, the first book is called Stoned in Charm City, and it's not about drugs, it's about a gargoyle. So he's on a church in Baltimore City, and that's really fascinating to a bunch of people. All day, you've been giving your elevator pitch to everybody that walks by. You only get like five, 10 seconds to capture their attention. What were you saying to the people that were coming to your table? Like, what was your, okay, uh, so I'm a uh, dystopian writer, and you, you know what I mean? <laughs> a lot of people um, stopped by and I ask them what they read. So if they like dark stories, I go from there. That's when I introduce Charm City Darkness. So what is it about darkness in particular that uh, attracts you? Like you like to write in that vein. What do you like about that? I like off the wall, offbeat, uh, a little scary. Who doesn't like to be scared a little bit? So um, I would say my books aren't horrific, but they're certainly a little darker than most. 
Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, Charm City is Baltimore. Are you mm-hmm. from the Baltimore area? And were you always a writer? I have been a writer for as long as I know. Since I could pick up a pencil, I've been writing stories. I think I was telling them before then. My mother would um, write down stories that I would dictate to her when I was a, like a wee child, when I couldn't even write. So yeah, I've been telling stories for a long time. As for Baltimore, I grew up in the city. My grandmother lived there. Um, 15 aunts and uncles lived in the city within a three block radius. So uh, been around the city for a long time. And so who are some of your author inspirations other than Brad Cox, children of the program? That's me. <laughs> um, Edgar Allan Poe. Dean Koontz, uh, Terry Brooks, because I do like the fantasy. So in that vein, Stephen King. Have you crossed paths yet with Richard Chismar? Uh, It's funny you should ask that. Um, I have published Richard Chismar in my Hides the Dark Tower series. So Vani and I have edited his stories and published him. That is fantastic. So he's a big name. I I think he had a marquee in New York City. (laughs) He did. He is a big name. And that's our selling point for that book now. We're like, you know Richard Chismar? He's in this book. And so it's um, a lot of fun seeing people's eyes light up when they see it. So when is your book going to be on like one of those jumbotrons in New York City? Next week. Next week. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Let's, Let's hope for next year. Does writing come natural to you? Oh yeah, I'm always telling stories. I've always got stuff in my brain. Things are always going through my head. Where do you think that comes from? Uh, I'm, it's a sickness. It's a, it's <laughs> um, I just, I don't know. I just can't stop. Yeah, and, and when I want to clear my mind, it doesn't matter. The darkness creeps in. So do you ever get writer's block? No. No, I've never had writer's block. Who, because a lot of people don't realize that it's not just writing a book. There's the editing process. There's the formatting process. Then there's trying to find an outlet. Then there's the marketing. Are you handling all of those aspects front to back? Or do you have other people or a team of people that are helping you? Oh, well, my book is um, published by Pull to Pull Publishing in Baltimore. They have a team of people who do that. But the books that Vani and I edit, we handle most of that beginning to end. What's next for you? You've got book five coming. Is book six already spinning around in there or even book seven? Like how far into the future do you have this Charm City Darkness going? Well, book five right now is the end of it. Although it is so large, I think there might be a book six. And that I haven't decided. But they want the book. The editor's been clamoring for the book. So I need to get it get it to them soon. But I have a trilogy that's in my head, a high fantasy trilogy, and that I just can't stop thinking about. So I think even if there are more Charm City books, this new trilogy is going to come out before those. Obviously, we, we write to escape. But are there aspects of the writing process that you just absolutely loathe? Proofreading. I hate proofreading. That's just like the most time-consuming thing. It's a nightmare, obviously. Hey, it's really great to sit down and talk to you very briefly. They're literally going to kick us out of here. So I want to thank you for sitting down with me, Kelly Harmon. All the success to you and the Charm City Darkness in the future. And we'll get this edited and onto the web as soon as possible. And I hope you had a great time today. I did. Thank you. And thanks for having me. All right, I'm here at the Authors and Artists Holiday Gift Event here at the Bel Air Armory. I actually got it right for the first time in four guests, and I'm sitting here with Vonnie Winslow Chris. Now, Vonnie, I don't know if you know this, 
but I used to have band practice in your garage with John Glassman, Jamie Hawkins, Phil, and myself. I wasn't the first singer, there was another singer, but I used to practice in your house. I didn't know that, but we had many kids in our house all the time practicing music and um, playing basketball and just playing D&D and having a great time. So you are the author of Shivers, Scares, and Goosebumps and Beneath Raven's Wing, which actually just won the Edgar Allan Poe Award. Is that correct? Yeah, it, the International Edgar Allan Poe Festival is held in Baltimore in October, and they have an award for um, a writing that is influenced by Edgar Allan Poe's work, and those stories all have ravens and are very dark stories. So they kind of won an award for it. Would you say that all of your stories, kind of like the Charm City darkness, are they all kind of teetering around that realm of darkness and spookiness? Everything has shadows. When I write fantasy, when I write science fiction, it all is going to be dark. It's all going to have the shadows in it. Um, so it not all of it's set in Baltimore, obviously. Some of it's in outer space, but all of it's going to have very a lot of darkness in it. I usually tell people most of my stuff is young adult friendly, so I kind of stay away from the graphic right there on the page stuff. It's usually off to the side when the violence occurs. When were you inspired to write in general? Were you an English major in some sort or did you just have this natural inkling to like, I gotta get this out? Um, actually, I started off as an illustrator and I, I actually have over a thousand illustrations in print right now. Um, and I kind of wanted to tell a story and didn't always have a paintbrush on hand, so I started to write. And very slowly, from teeny-weeny poems to a little bit longer stories to longer stories, eventually novels. So it, it kind of grows on you, but I think I've always been creative. Um, I was also involved in theater, not music. Unfortunately, my kids can sing, but not me. So where do you draw all of this inspiration from? Or, or maybe a better way to put it is, where do you think inspiration comes from? everywhere. Um, when I look at Beneath Raven's Wing, um, one of the stories in there is about some grave robbers who are medical students because to get to cadavers in the late 1800s and early 1900s was illegal. It was very difficult for medical schools. So my great-grandfather happened to have been a grave robber and also a medical student. So it was easy to be inspired when I heard the story. How could I not use that? Of course, I added vampires and all kinds of things to it. Why not? But I think inspiration is everywhere. It's just a matter of, of paying attention. Do you write yourself into any of the characters? Like, I feel like they always say, write what you know, and there's a tendency to write yourself into the book. Always, but you'll never know it. And it's always pieces of me. Also, I, I warn everyone I ever meet, even if I haven't met you and you're around me, odds are I'm watching you, I'm listening to you, and there's a chance a part of you will be appearing as part of a character. That's fantastic and almost unsettling. <laughs> it's creepy. Sorry, it's creepy. When you see me sitting in the mall, I'm not just idly thinking, I'm listening. Obviously, people were coming in rapid fire today, and you only have a couple seconds to get their attention. So I asked Kelly Harmon, which is your partner here right. today, what was your elevator pitch? Like, What did you say to get people to stop and, and listen to you? you. Easiest thing ever. It's one of the best lines to ever use. You just say to someone, do you read books? And if they say yes, then you then I usually say, well, thank goodness. I'm so glad you're a reader. Would you like to hear about mine? But the first thing I say, are you a reader? And if they say no, I usually like, well, you should. Reading's really important. 
And because I think storytelling is really important. That's what a lot of reading is about, storytelling. Yeah, and is that what you like about the writing process in general or most? Storytelling is what I've done even when I wasn't writing it down or painting it on a canvas because that's storytelling also. You know, Melissa, you can ask my children and my current grandchildren. Um, I always was telling stories, and if I've scarred them for life, I apologize because they often were scary stories. And the the shivers, um, scares, and goosebumps is kind of like the old... um, Um, scary stories to tell after dark so there's illustrations and dark stories and I told those to my kids and like I said they're probably scarred but I can't help it that's just the stories I was telling and how long does it take you beginning to end to write one of these epic novels a novel well a novel is um, an extended story but you have a lot of plot lines so a lot of tangling up my first novel Actually, it's unusual how I wrote it. It was um, the first novel that I had to write. I was actually had a meeting with an agent, and I thought you had to come with three chapters, and that was all that had to be completed. And um, it turned out that the whole book was supposed to be done. So I sat down. I'd sent the three chapters, and she sat down, and she said, I want to represent you for The Enchanted Dagger, which is an epic fantasy along the lines of The Hobbit. And I said, oh, I wouldn't do with the manuscript thinking I've got three chapters and you've seen them and that's it. And so I managed to put a book together and totally done and into an agent in about three months. Even though it's on paper, writing the book is a very visual art. You have to know the landscapes. You have to research the landscapes. When you're writing these books, do you find yourself at a point sometimes like, man, I would really like to see a local director take one of these books or stories and turn it into something a little bit more? Of course, and especially coming from a visual background, you always, you always, and theater, um, you always think what this, what this looks like, what this feels like. You use all your senses when you're writing. Well, you use them also in imagining what it would be like for someone else to express that. And you always think, well, maybe one day, even if, even if it's just like a TV short story thing, maybe someone will pick up on one of the worlds that I've created. Well, Vani, what are your plans for the future? And thank you for taking a couple minutes to talk with me today. I'm under contract for two more books in the Shivers, Scares um, series. And one, the second one will be Shivers, Scares, and Chills. The third one, Shivers, Scares, and Nightmares. Um, I, I also owe a novel to Pole to Pole Publishing, the follow-up to The Enchanted Dagger. Um, and I also currently have a fantasy um, collection working with Weird House Publications that will be coming out, I would think, early next year. So, a few things. Well, we all love the weird, the scary, and the dark, so we thank you for what you do. This is going to be on the Mouthful Graffiti Podcast probably tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. I will find a way to tag you into it. Thank you for sitting down with me, and uh, look forward to more from you. Thank you so much. I wish you best of luck with the podcast, and hopefully a lot of folks will be listening.